0: We've got a few more questions to address. Uh, one is relating to this grab bag we were talking about. Are there little structures in it? So we're going to do something to see if that is the case and if we can find some. We also want to talk about why the book of Proverbs contains so many warnings about seductive wayward women um, and, and not about their equally uh, predatory and probably more predatory counterparts. Uh, so let's, let's dive in. I've got a few more questions even than the ones I'm mentioning. But let's save a little time. I'm not going to write this one on the board. Just Well, it kind of still relates. Um, in the, what I want us to do right now is look at Proverbs chapter 10 and uh, ask ourselves the question. So this is, this is the beginning of the major collection of Solomonic Proverbs. Um, his c- collection of these individual sayings that seem to hit us kind of out of the blue. Something about the tongue, something about the fool, something about the temper, something about money, something about generosity, and they just come like that. And we said earlier, and I think there's something to be said for the fact that we we don't know what a day may hold, so we need need to be uh, informed with all these nutrients or vitamins every day. That said, um, is the collection completely haphazard? So I want us to test that a little bit and just um, I'm going to read the first five verses in Proverbs. I I thought we might do this as a group but I'm really wanting to economize time. So we'll do it again as a big group and um, I want you to ask yourself the question uh, now that we're into the grab bag of individual Proverbs do I see any relationship amongst some of these starting out? Okay, so let's just look at um, Proverbs 1. Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, that he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. And then it goes on. So we'll just stop with what the screen shows. Do you spot any structure here? Family. Family. Okay, there's a family context and, and some of the principles in a family, right? Father, mother,
1: son. son.
0: Mutatis mutandis, daughter, okay? Mutatis mutandis, that means necessary changes having been made. Um, We can apply the same thing to to daughters as well. But, um, okay, so it's family, the general context. What else? Behavior.
1: Behavior. And negative behavior.
0: (laughs) Positive and negative. Remember, we talked about this is the one that gets into the antithetic parallelism, a wise but a foolish, ill-gotten but Righteousness. The Lord, but he thwarts. He does this, but he thwarts. Lazy hands. Notice but, 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 but. Okay, so antithetic parallelism. Um, Apart from behavior, in what specific area? Work. Work? Agriculture. Agriculture. Values. Where do you see values? The lasting, no lasting value? Okay so it, it, it's sort of around the topic of well surely in a family context the distinction between a wise and foolish son we see that in, in verse 1 do we see that anywhere else? verse 5 okay so here um, we, you just had sort of a general description a wise son brings joy to his father but a foolish son brings grief to his mother And then you get down to five, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son. So there you have action added to that conceptual description. But he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Okay, so that, you you see, okay, those seem to relate.
1: Uh,
0: What about verse two? Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value. Yeah, that it, it could be a result of foolishness, and, and certainly someone who tries to gain treasures in an ill-gotten way or in a, in a wrongful way will bring grief to his mother and to his father. By the way, a wise son is also a joy to her, mo- his mother, and a you know, and a foolish son is a, brings grief to his father. But you're just getting both sides; both partners are being mentioned there. Okay, so yes,
1: I, I, I see. I see. All, all about choices. You know, are you going to choose to be wise or foolish?
0: Are you going to choose the forgotten treasures or
1: righteousness? You know, Um, are you going to choose righteousness or wickedness? You know, right? Yeah. uh, Make a choice here, and there's just all different examples. Right. Okay. Which way are you going to go?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's true in the sense that the the two paths of, of wisdom or folly have been traced out in the first nine mm-hmm. chapters. Mm-hmm. And now that you get into these actual wise sayings, again, you're you're, you're invited to make a choice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that I think will apply to all of them in, in, in one sense or another. So, the real question here, is there anything that binds one to five together? Choosing to act rightly. Okay. Choosing to act rightly. It's honest reason. Honest, honest, res- resourcefulness. resourcefulness. Don't, don't take shortcuts. Okay, so do you do you? That's right. Do you see do you see a relationship between verses two and four? Yeah, yeah. money. In what sense? Okay, it has to do it has to do with livelihood, doesn't it? And ill gotten treasures, no lasting value. Um, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Okay, so. It's, it's around the topic of um, gaining a living, making a living of some sort. What's in the middle? Oh, the Lord. Yeah. Okay, so the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but He thwarts the craving of the wicked. Any relationship of that to what's surrounding it? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I think there is. Okay, so even though on the first reading it just seems like well you, you said one thing and now you're saying something else on an unrelated topic. Um there does seem to be a little bit of a structure here where you have a convergence of theme basically and principal characters basically and interesting then once we realize that that the context may be significant to our interpretation then we see in this little what is in fact a chiasm of 1 to 1 to 5 right in the middle as indeed in the middle of the book is a Yahweh saying, Is the Lord. So, yes, the the son is invited to be wise, not foolish. Don't grieve your parents. Bring joy to your parents. Don't be like someone who um, uh, sleeps during harvest. Be a wise son who's gathering during harvest because there's no other way to operate properly and to earn a living. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value. You don't want to do that. Lazy hands are going to make you poor. Diligent hands bring wealth. But overriding all of that and in the center is the emphasis on... Actually, it's the Lord who does not let the righteous go hungry. But he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Um, the psalmist says, I, you know, I've lived a long time and I've never seen the righteous begging bread. I'd be very careful not to reverse that occasion, uh, uh, equation and say if someone's begging bread, they're not righteous. Okay, so again, you have to be wise in how you apply a proverb.
1: Well, I was going to say, when you live a righteous Lord, a righteous life under the word of God, God, it brings
0: inner peace and contentment. If you choose not to, it's respectful. Right. Okay, and there and there are a number of proverbs about. These better than, another kind of proverb is better this than that. So, better a little with contentment than much with great strife. I just made that one up, kind of, it's a little paraphrastic. But <laughs> but they're that kind of thing, and, and, and there are lots of those.
1: What strikes me with this is the um, emphasis on worldly values of wealth, seeking righteousness, poverty, <coughs> not living a righteous life sometimes and and I don't necessarily think that's so as you alluded to with your Mexican friend Mm -hmm. who said I've known many diligent people who are righteous and and, Mm -hmm. uh, and yet are poor so the the equation in the the Proverbs equating wealth with being righteous sometimes bothers me
0: right Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah, um, she was basically saying the, the seeming equation in the book of Proverbs of righteousness and wealth, you know, wealth suggesting righteousness, um, is bothersome, is troublesome because that's not true to life. Now, let me let me uh, a good, David asked a good question during the break. You know, given that we have this uh, grab bag, and we don't have a topical arrangement in this section. Is it still okay for us to arrange them topically? Would we do that? Um, yeah, I think so. I think as a reading plan, I think the, the the wisdom teacher, knowing that the stresses of the day are unknown, says, I'm not sure when to hit you with this and when to hit you with that, so I'm going to hit you with a bit of everything all the time if you're reading through. But I think if we want to get a full picture of what the the wisdom Relating to a particular topic is, then by all means, go through and collect all the proverbs that deal with that topic, and analyze them and see what you come up with. See what it, and books have done that. You know, you have topically arranged. Let me see if I can find this quickly. I'll, I'll give you. I'll show you an example. Yes, you may. We
1: were talking about how. That's right. Um and yeah. and, and like
0: when you crave for uh day we bread, I mean that, that's that's but it not also spiritual truth. Oh absolutely so, like, could
1: that yeah. not be looked at as a um and then and then if you look at it that way it, it makes a whole bunch on a different level.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I think I think that the, the book of Proverbs will reinforce the notion that there's true wealth and there's seeming wealth. That will only disappoint. You know, and uh, so um, godly, godliness with contentment is great gain. It doesn't mean you're going to get wealthy. Okay, it just means that that's what really matters. One of the early church fathers said, uh, and this we need to hear sometimes in the West, he said, with everything we acquire, we impoverish ourselves further. <laughs> I don't know exactly where this proverb is, but it's something to the effect that um, the rich man lies awake at night while the, sleep of the, uh, while the laborer hears no threat. So the rich man's got a lot to manage, a lot, a lot he could... He stands to lose a lot. You know, the poor man got nothing to lose, sleeping like a baby. Now, of course, grinding poverty is bad. And we're to see to that. And wealth by itself is not bad by itself. So here's where I wanted to show you. Um, this is, and I, I can't figure out how to make it. Well, I could try making it bigger, but I think it's going to go way too big. So I did a little, this was some years ago. I just thought I'm going to do a survey of proverbs on personal property. So this would be doing what David was asking about can you collect them all together? And once having collected a whole array of proverbs, I then tried to organize and distill sort of big teachings that were coming out of the book. So the first was, and I won't go through this all slowly because we don't have time. But the first point was wealth properly earned, so not ill-gotten treasures, but wealth properly earned can be the Lord's blessing. You know, wealth can be the Lord's blessing. Uh, point B, however, wealth does not prove the Lord's blessing. Just because you're wealthy doesn't mean it's blessing. You may have gotten it some other way. Uh, wealth results from honest hard work, diligence, integrity, unjust gain, moderation, don't become a workaholic, seek faithfulness, not greed. These are kind of my summaries of what some of these proverbs may be saying. So wealth can be the Lord's blessing. Wealth also brings responsibility generosity and fairness in the use of wealth are not a good idea or a laudable inclination. They are required. It's one of the things I've learned from the book of Proverbs. Generosity is not something I decide to be. It's something God tells me to be. Okay, so generosity with what I've been given is a requirement. Um, And it's a requirement that pays. Generosity generates returns. One man gives generously and has even more. And many of you will have experienced that in your life, I think. As you, know, you give, often um, you, God continues to supply so that you can keep giving. Not invariably, not all the time, but you get the point. Um, moreover, wealth... Sorry, there's a jumping around, but wealth poses dangers. Wealth can bring various problems. Threats, maybe that 13.8 is the one I was looking for. Threats, false friends, false confidence, and can divert our attention from God. In Proverbs 30, one one of the little sections that Polly and I, my wife and I, prayed 44 plus years ago when we were about to get married was, Lord, give us neither poverty nor riches... Lest we become proud and forget you, or lest we—I can't quote it anymore—but lest, or or lest we become um, impoverished and be tempted to steal. Give me neither poverty nor riches, nor riches nor poverty. Now I will say throughout our lifetime, he's kept us in the ba- in the black, but usually only barely. I must say, at this mature age, I feel like he's. Not watching the register quite as well as he should, because I feel that I'm wealthy. <laughs> uh, you know, and maybe maybe I'll get a health bill or something, but I don't feel in, you know, unusually wealthy. But living here in this place with these people um, and a family and ten grandchildren and one on the way, you know, there's all kinds of ways in which he has given me far more wealth than I was ever anticipating. But I still think that, that that was the right prayer for us to pray. Mm-hmm. And then it left it in his court. Yes. You know, Lord, we're committing our, the family support to you. I once heard a Christian leader whom I admire in a lot of ways say, I'm leaving him unnamed, say, if, I could, if someone took away my ability to, to provide for my family, that would crush me. And I thought about it at the time and I thought, um, if I thought my chief responsibility to, was to provide for my family, I would have taken a different career path. You know, my responsibility to, was, was to follow the call of God and Paulie and I together discerning his call. Let's do what he calls us to do. And it's his responsibility to provide for my family. No one can take away my ability to provide for my family because I don't have that responsibility. He does. So it's just a different perspective. Um, But wealth can divert our attention from God. Wealth can be very deceptive. It offers security, but it's a counterfeit security. It's ultimately worthless. It's not to be trusted. It's only temporary. It can take wings and fly away. Any of you old enough to have lived through 2008 and 2002 know that wealth can take wings and fly away. Um, And wealth is not to be our first priority. Many things are more important than money. Fear of the Lord is more important. A prudent wife is more important. A good name is more important. um, And goodness versus perversity. Wealth should be a byproduct of higher ambitions. Humility and the fear of the Lord. Moderation. All of these talk about wealth, but they talk about it as as reflecting higher ambitions. Seek faithfulness, not greed. And finally, our worth is not measured by wealth rich and poor have this in common God is the maker of both So I think that's the end of the page so this was just a quick example and I didn't spell out the proverbs but by gathering them together and then thinking about them I thought okay what what should be our perspective on personal property so yeah there's a place for that but still in all I think the way the Bible you know the way it's laid out in the text is meant to give us a bit of each vitamin, a multivitamin, for every day. Now, um, I want to move to another question. and I think I'm going to... Well, I'll just make one quick comment. Um, the, the, I mentioned earlier, since I said I would, the uh, 30 Sayings, the book of 30 Sayings. I'll, I'll, I can handle this pretty quickly, I think. Um, Proverbs 22, 2220. This is, this is um, at the end, 2216 it begins, but or 2217 it begins. Solomon's main collection goes to 2216, and then this picks up, and he's encouraging you to hear more wisdom. And he says, have I not written 30 sayings for you? Because the Hebrew is a little funny there, it's been, if you looked at other translations, older translations, they would often say, have I not written excellent things to you? But it can kind of sound like excellent. But, it, it, but then, um, archaeologists began to discover instruction manuals, such as the instruction of Amenemope, an Egyptian instruction manual, which has 30 chapters, and it refers to it as a book of 30 sayings. Okay, so from that comparative evidence... We think, oh, okay. Then the reading that Hebrew, that little bit odd Hebrew, as thirty sayings was correct, and you count them up, and there are actually thirty sayings. Moreover, they are quite similar in places to the instruction of Mope, which leads people to wonder: Well, did the Bible draw that from this extra biblical text? Well, remember we said earlier that Solomon was gathering and sharing wisdom, so he could have. He might have known of this instruction. It dates about the same time as Solomon. No one knows exactly who came first. Maybe it was derivative. Maybe Solomon spoke and this, I mean, Amope went off and wrote something similar. What's distinctive, though, about this one, even though there's some overlap, uh, probably in about, maybe I'm just guessing two-thirds of the sayings, there's some overlap or half, some overlap between the two. What's distinctive is the first saying, the last saying, and approximately the middle saying is a Yahweh saying. In, in the Proverbs now you're not going to get that in Amenemope so whatever else you say about whether it was adapted it was sanctified um, by the one who collected it ok so with that move I wanted to make a comment about Amenemope just because it's so much fun to say that <laughs> um, when someone next time someone says can I hear an Amen you say you can hear an Amenemope <laughs> alright I think you've spoken in tongues all of a sudden. All right. Um, so we're moving toward a few final questions. Why does the book of Proverbs contain warnings about seductive wayward women but not men? <laughs> Why is that? I'm gonna I'm gonna put a couple of words here. Okay. Oops. Just to illustrate the point. Okay, right on, early on it says, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them. Okay, so simple can be wayward. And by the way, wayward is translating several different Hebrew words at times. Um, 2.16, wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. 5.3, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Um, 5.20, why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Um, he goes on to talk about being intoxicated by your own wife, which is a nice image, I think. Uh, 624 keeping you from your neighbor's wife from the smooth talk of a wayward woman, that a man who commits adultery has no sense, whoever does so destroys himself. Seven five they will keep you from the adulterous woman. You get the picture, okay. <laughs> adulterous women <laughs> throughout the book. Why is that? And why we didn't hit an adulterous man once, other than uh, a man who commits adultery has no sense. But you get the impression that there are a lot of or some predatory women around that we need to be wary of. Why well, no men? Sorry. I don't think so. Uh, yeah. Is it the question? Is is it because Eve tempted? Adam. In other words, they really are worse. Women are really more dangerous. Um, it's a good try. Like I've been wanting to hear yeah. you talk more about like the
1: historical cultural context. Okay. Tie in
0: here. That does. Yes, Braun, We'll get to foil
1: is Lady Wisdom. Wisdom is a woman too.
0: That's right. The wisdom is a woman, and you've got. And so it's, it's not entirely negative about all women. Okay? No, we'll we'll see some of that. Yes?
1: I wonder if it has something to do with, like again, looking at culturally, the concept of foreign wives, the warning not to go out, not to leave the white community, be drawn after to the beauty of foreign wives.
0: And the reason was, because it would turn their hearts away from the Lord, right. foreign gods. Yeah. Yeah, several, you know, often in certain translations, it will talk about the foreign wife, as if being a foreigner is necessarily a bad thing. Um, if you think about, Someone who is foreign, who is an outlander, okay, outlander, so out of land, from which we get the term outlandish. Okay, so it's possible to be a foreigner and nevertheless come in and be a true Yahwist, We've got Rahab, we've got others. We've got Ruth, for example, uh, the only other woman of noble character mentioned in the Bible. Okay, I mean there's lots of women of noble character. The term is used of her. So, you can be a foreigner, but so you're exactly right. The point is, um, if foreign wives bring their foreign ways, particularly their foreign religions, then that's going to be a a, a snare. As it was for Solomon, of all people. He did not... (laughs) Who said that? He didn't follow his own advice. There's a... I think it's Proverbs 25, 26, or 26, 25... It says, "Like a muddied spring, is a righteous man who gives way to evil, or something like that." I'm always making these things up, Um, and that may be a a bit of a self-confession. Solomon saying, "I know that. I know that experience. I've given way to evil, and and he did. You know, so he was wise, but he didn't live wisely to the end." Um, something sobering about that. Okay, well, historical perspective, so you brought that up. Historical perspective, you'll notice that this is listen, my sons, to your father's instruction and to your mother's teaching. Okay, we need to learn something right there. This was familial wisdom. And, and, but it does say sons. Now, that's I think simply a reflection of the fact that in that society, which was patriarchal, The sons were to grow up to be head of household and to take responsibility, being elders in the gate and such. There are wise women, crucially, in Israel. So, It's kind of a technical term, a wise woman, a woman of stature, a woman of influence, a woman who influenced the course of history. But for the most part, this was a patriarchal society where uh, positions of leadership would largely be occupied by men so again using that fancy word mutatis mutandis which is other things change, you know, making all the necessary adjustments I think it stands to reason if you're going to have mo- mothers who are wise and able to teach then they will have been taught so just because the, the way the book is set is listen my son doesn't mean that the daughter and daughters stop your ears I think women would have been involved in this training, but it is a patriarchal setting back then um, does the book demean women well um, some hear it that way um, how did, it, you know, I just mentioned one eight, listen my son to your father's instruction do not forsake your mother's teaching uh, woman, woman wisdom lady wisdom as Brian brought out that's a personification of wisdom now why, did, why was she personified as a woman well again the main addressees of the book are the young men that's why it ends with the woman of noble character rather than the men, man of noble character. But mutatis mutandis, women should be looking for a man like that. Men should be looking for a wife like that, a woman like that. Um, now, because modern translators understand that it's, um, it is to a specific context and they're not wishing to uh, neglect women, they they often will gender neutralize the the language. I'm I'm looking for my note. I had a verse I wanted to show. Um, Okay, yeah. Go back to this. Actually, I'm gonna go over to another screen. And by the way, I've, oh wow, that's gonna be (laughs) I'll read these out to you, but, um, because this has a lot of different I don't want to take the time to enlarge all of those. But if I look at 1-8 and 5.1, oh, five one, in these various ones, well, sorry about how small that is. Well, I'll pull this one up, you can see this one. Notice what the NRSV does. ESV begs to differ. It doesn't always, you know, ESV is often diff- the same as RSV. but RSV says, hear my child your father's instruction and do not reject your mother's teaching. Okay, so, okay, well that's fine. Um, because it really is the, 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 the children, the B'nai, the sons. The sons of Israel included women and children. The sons of Israel are not just males. Okay, So you could argue that that's, this is a better translation. However, having done that, then when you get to something like... Um, Chapter 5, be attentive to uh, my child, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. Let's put a few more verses on 5. That you may hold on to prudence, and your lips may guard knowledge, for the lips of a loose woman drip with honey. Okay, so child, boy or girl, you need to hear about bad women. See how you, you kind of solve one problem and create another because you still have warnings just about wayward women in the book if you neutralize it and make it child. Now, what do you do? Well, you could compose out of whole cloth parallel passages and thus add things to Scripture. I think there's a warning about that somewhere. (laughs) So I'm not sure that's the solution either. Um, In the NIV, this is the NIV 211. No, actually NIV is not the one I want. I want NLT, New Living Translation. There you'll say, see that the New Living Translation begins, My child, listen when your father corrects, uh, corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. Okay, My child. They go with child in 1.8, but in 1 they revert back to son. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. And then he goes on to, wor- to warn about wayward women. So that gives the impression that the instruction is generally to children, but now and again, the father needs to say, Hey, boys, come here. Um, A woman's a 2 faced a troublesome thing. She can make you sing blues in the night. That's (laughs) a So you need to know that. But are we to assume that the father is not warning his daughters about predatory men? Surely he is. Surely he is. Um, So I think it's, for my money, it's probably easiest in an educational context to say let the words stand as they are and explain the context and explain that surely um, this was meant to be wisdom imparted to both men and women, boys and girls, and so whatever the instruction to a son about a wayward woman women, girls be alert to the dangers of the wayward man and it would be interesting to do some demographic study I dare say the latter probably outnumber the former but there are probably more predatory men around than predatory women but in any case that, so, so that's the that's about all I think we can do with this is to recognize it was given in a particular context and it has implications for boys and for girls for the training, for the installation of wisdom in both any, this, that's a, a difficult topic um, Trimper has a nice chapter on that in this this book here. But any any comments or questions or? I'm not sure if
1: I'm thinking wrong, but you know, in Revelations where it
0: talks about the women in red, yes, is that at all do you
1: think connected to the repetitiveness
0: of women here? Um, it would be. I, I think that to make a direct connection would be a bit of a stretch. Not but, direct,
1: but yeah. Do you think it's kind of somehow invisibly, in, you know, somehow?
0: Mm, yeah, I'd want to think about it. I think in general, um, the, a lot of times the, the, the feminine it stands, is, is used in Scripture for both positive and negative allurements. Because again, the, in, in that patriarchal society, it was very important that heads of household, that fathers be rightly oriented. And the allurements to a male tend to be feminine, okay? So it's perfect in the book of Proverbs because you have uh, woman wisdom and woman folly both vying for the attention of the simple or the learning, the one learning.
1: But in Revelation, they weren't really meaning
0: women. They meant something different. They meant, yeah. I think, I think here they do actually mean human beings. And
1: who, with, who wrote this?
0: Um, yeah it would have yeah. largely it would largely have been right yeah. so yeah and but i don't think it's who wrote it so much as who is being addressed in the first instance yeah we might wish it were otherwise i was just trying to kind of show what some of the compens- you know compensating moves that have been attempted like let's gender neutralize son so that we say child but then you end up with other problems so I, you know, I don't care. I mean, I'm happy for it to for people to deal with it any way they want, but I do want to insist that this wisdom is not just for sons. This is wisdom for all of us, sons and daughters. And I think that would be the implication of the text. Otherwise, we wouldn't have wise mothers or women of noble character if they were untrained. And by the way, that woman of noble character. Um, in 32, 26 or thirty-one twenty-six, in that section, it says, "She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's a wisdom teacher. Okay, so she's obviously learned wisdom. So I would say, let's not get, let's don't get bogged down um, so much by the nature of the address or the exemplification of waywardness." Um, in terms of wayward women, when wayward men are also implicated. Psalm 112 will describe a man um, who is similar in some respects to uh, the woman of noble character at the end of the book. So that kind of thing goes both ways. All right, we're going to have to move on, I fear. Um, And I want to ask some more, you know, kind of a couple of really practical questions as we come toward the close of our time here and that is um, how might biblical wisdom biblical proverbs speak to unbelievers I think that the wisdom books are all three of them Job, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs are probably some of the best books for evangelism that there are in the Bible now obviously the gospels the story of Jesus you've got to have that because that's where it all happens. But in terms of attracting people, I think that the wisdom books, because they're dealing with life, with the practical everyday affairs of life and with the great mysteries, the greatest challenges of life, suffering, um, not knowing, epistemological limitation, book of Job, or um, meaning, you know, midlife crisis. I've got everything done I meant to get done by the time I was 35 and I'm empty. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He's been there and done that. And by the way, if you'd read it earlier, you would have realized that building things and gaining wealth and power and prestige would never give you real meaning. I think they're very practical. Book of Proverbs. If you're living out this wisdom in your family, in your community, people may notice. And they may say things like, You heard what she said. Why didn't you defend yourself? Why didn't you defend yourself? Great proverb. An undeserved curse does not alight. You know, there's a time to take up and defend, but if it's totally undeserved, (coughs) the best best defense is no defense at all. It's undeserved. It's not going to alight. I'm not worried about it. Why? Because I fear the Lord. I don't need to fear her comment or his comment. Um, Why do you discipline your children? Why do you do that? We're not talking about methods of discipline. There's all kinds of manners and methods. Why do you do that? Well, because the book of Proverbs says, um, uh, you know, say, a book of ancient wisdom. I learned it from a book of ancient wisdom that said, Discipline your child while there's still time. Why be a willing party to his death? And that sobers me. It lets me see that if I don't, if I'm a, if I'm a, you know, an absentee parent and don't muster the courage to help form my child in appropriate ways, I may unwittingly become a um, willing participant in his death or her death. uh, You know, I don't have time to expand on that, so I'm being a little melodramatic there, but there's that proverb. There's another proverb that says, um, no, I'll leave that one out for now. Too much, we've got too much time here. Um, what, about, what, what about your attitude to money? How is it that you can lose so much money? you just lost, you know, half your net worth um, through whatever means. How can you be so relaxed about that? Well, because I know that it's God that provides, keeps, keeps me from going hungry. It's not my, it's not by dint of my effort. Um, well, why are you generous? Well, I'm told to be. It's not because I'm particularly good, but I'm told to be generous. Proverbs eleven twenty-five, Proverbs twenty-two nine. Or, why aren't you telling that person off for what they said to you? I thought that was terrible. I, I would have bitten their head off. Well, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I think that I, I think that's a better approach. I'd rather I'd rather win the person than win the battle and lose the person. Now, there's a time to speak up and so forth and so on. So the wisdom books, I think, can be an entree because if you're living them out, people will see that. And as they see, they may say, "What? you know, you're not living the same way as the world around you. You're not doing what everyone else in the neighborhood is doing. You need to have an answer. And you need to have a reason for doing it. So it can open doors. Because whether they're interested in Christianity, much less in religion. Whether they're interested in that at all, they're interested in having a good life. And if they see you doing things that kind of begin to make sense to them, they're going to want to know why. So I think there's that. And then a final question I want to pose for us today is, uh, how do we live by Proverbs? How do we live by Proverbs? By
1: wisdom?
0: By wisdom? I, I was teaching a class at Regent and uh, I asked the students, Proverbs was a small part of the class, and I said, what have you learned from the book of Proverbs? And one of the young women in the class said, um, I have learned that uh, we, need to, we need to internalize them. We need to listen and learn. They need to become part of who we are. Um, and she said, my generation doesn't do that because we can Google anything, anytime. And we're just, we're not, uh, you know, we, we don't latch on to things. We don't tend to want to memorize things, because we can Google it. The information is right there at my smartphone, smarter than I am. <laughs> okay? Well, you know, uh, you all, you've all heard of uh, um, Sully, Sullenberger. I don't have, I'm not going to take time to read it, but uh, N.T. Wright in his book, Now That You Believe, has a wonderful couple of pages that describe the story of this airline's pilot who took off New York, New York Hudson River, took off in New York and uh, immediately not far off the ground. Uh, took in a flock of geese. Canada geese, by the way. Blame <laughs> Canada. Anyway, they say one goose in the engine is, is bad enough. Geese in both engines, that the the plane was crippled. And so what Sully didn't do, Sullenberger is his name, what he didn't do is say to his co-pilot, hey, would you Google ditch operations? Because we need to ditch this plane. No, he had developed muscle memory. He had practiced with flight simulators, he and his co-pilot. They knew exactly what to do, and there was a lot they needed to do. They needed to shut down things. They need to open up things. They need to check their possibilities. They need to realize we can't land on the freeway without further deaths. There's a small airport there over there, but we may not make it. Our glide ratio is such that we may not make that. If we don't, we're going to land in a highly populated area and cause a lot of people to die. And so in, in very short order, they had to make a decision to try to ditch in the Hudson River. They had to get the turn angle just right. They knew that if they, if they nosed in, It would tumble, tear to bits, everybody would be killed. They had to just skim in very nicely. Now, none of that was learned then. That was learned long ago through habitual practice and training and simulation. That's the way the Proverbs are to work. Don't think, oh, this is a treasure trove of wisdom, and so now I know when I'm under pressure, I'll just take fancy accordance and start Googling Proverbs doesn't work that way. Memorize them. And you can, you know, my dad, I love my dad. He was a fantastic man, a man of the Bible, a pastor. Um, and he, he said, I don't do a lot of memory work, but he sure knew a lot of Bible. And so I think what he meant was, I don't sit, he would just say, I don't do a lot of memory work. But he spent his life immersed in the biblical text, and it began to fill him. It, it became the way he acted, the way he reacted. The book of Proverbs, to choose a, another image, and this is not exactly fitting, but the book of Proverbs is kind of like a personal trainer. It wants to train you in fitness, in agility, in avoiding injury. Um, so as a personal trainer, he doesn't just take you out and say, now run you know, 10K. He builds you up to it. He makes you stronger and makes you stronger. And then when the marathon comes, then you're fit because you've been training. Now, this is all well and good. I mean, this that's the main point I want to make. That we should internalize the book of Proverbs. But in the end, we dare not forget key Proverbs like one that's probably best known, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Anyone know? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, know Him, and He will make your path straight. Okay? Acknowledges often. But know Him, I think it's more active than just, yeah, I acknowledge God. It's like, no, I'm actually concerned to know what He thinks. So, in all your ways, know Him, and He will make your path straight. So, I find it fascinating, in a book like the book of Proverbs, that's meant to give us understanding and discernment and wisdom It stops and says, you know what? Don't trust yours. Don't just trust yours. Because you can learn a lot, but you really need to trust the Lord. 22.19, that your trust may be in the Lord. I teach you today, even you. That your trust may be in the Lord. That's the end game. Learn as much as we can, but in the end, remember, fear of the Lord is the starting point. Trust Trust in the Lord is the way we move ahead. Now, one other thing that I want to suggest to you. A lot of people talk about praying the Psalms. And that's a great thing because the Psalms are prayers. So a lot of times you can use the Psalms as a model for your prayer. Several years ago I started and I've um, done a little bit but haven't continued. I might someday continue um, a little project on praying the Proverbs. So look at your last sheet, the handout on the last sheet. And what, I, what I'm thinking here... And the way this works for me is if, if the wisdom teacher is wanting us to learn and embrace wisdom, if we are to embrace woman wisdom, okay, um, then it doesn't just happen. It's not just a matter of head knowledge. So I think we should find out what our calling is and then pray that calling. Pray that God will do that for us. So here's a prayer, we've read the 1 to 7, and here's a prayer that I, that I composed uh, in relation to 1 to 7, which is that first, first few verses in the book, and um, maybe we could, could uh, pray this together, and then I'm going to, we're not quite done, I'll give a little chance for some further questions, but we're almost done, and we're going to sing a hymn at the end, but let's pray this together right now. God of all wisdom, one of our deepest human desires is to live well. In our better moments, we want to be fair and just. We want to know how to navigate life in ways that bring happiness to us and to those around us. But we are far from adept at the skill of living. Some of us
1: are young and inexperienced. Others of us have longed many years
0: but still seem unprepared for many of life's challenges. We need the kind of wisdom that only an all-knowing God can offer and only a relentlessly loving God would offer. You are such God, and so we ask you to teach us the fear of the Lord, that loving, devoted respect that cares most about what you think and acts accordingly. We don't want to be fools. Amen. Okay, any any final questions? And then I'll call... Uh, Carrie's around here somewhere, I think. Mm-hmm. Or I think he went. Yes. Is there a cost for the email version of the of, of, of which? Well, the web of the personal property. Oh, yeah, yeah, the personal property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I'll send that via Brie. I'll send that to Brie Terrace. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. And then you can bother Brie for it. Or to. Or Donna, or Jan, or something. Kimberly. Yeah. Kimberly. <laughs> I, I know Bree. I have Bree's email, so I'll send it to her and say, Bree, people may ask you for this. Okay. Do people know who Bree Harris is? Jerry. Um, sometimes when I
1: read proverbs, I get a, um, a feeling of my own inadequacy uh, because I remember things from my life story that line up with the uh, you know, wrong side.
0: Yeah, I I had a similar experience once when I was reading the Psalms and had always identified myself as the righteous. And then I realized, you know, actually, I fit the description of the wicked in this book a little more than I like. Um, Well, I, you know, obviously our, our standing, our position, our security is as children of God through Christ, not by our works. Not by the fact that we live wisely. Certainly not by the fact that we haven't made blunders, foolish, sinful choices in the past. Okay, so um, I think our only security in life and in death is found in Jesus. And if I, you know, if I take a hard look at myself and measure myself, I'm undeserving. Okay, have been, likely always will be. So, um... I'm not sure what to say beyond that, other than when Jesus, well, sorry, when, when Yahweh, almost a distinction without a difference, I might argue, but when, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and redeemed them, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I am your redeemer. Now, let me tell you how to live. He didn't say, um, I got some conditions. If you do these 10 things and do them well and everything else they imply, and the rest of the law I'm going to give you in a moment, if you do all that, I'll be your God. He said, no, I am the God who redeemed you. I brought you out. But because I love you, I want to instruct you. Um, I had some good friends in St. Louis who went to um, Russia to adopt a a girl. Um, She didn't apply. She didn't make application. She did nothing to deserve it. She had ill health, in fact. Um, So she didn't candidate for adoption. It was an absolutely unilateral loving action on the part of this couple who uh, bestowed their love on her and brought her home. And then they began to train her. Their love was constant, unconditional love, but the training required was to some measure dependent on her behaviors because they wanted, as they say, to train her heart. And That's a good image for me in terms of what God is wanting to do with us. He he came to us, brought us home, now he wants to train us. And how foolish if we rebuff the training of such a loving God. You know, and we do, you know, we, we continue to struggle. And I don't want to pretend it's otherwise. But how but then we are acting foolishly. So we pray that the wisdom quotient will be gradually increasing. I think we're right on time. Is oh, uh, sorry, Joel. Yeah. If you have a moment, still. I do. I, no one else does. But we're, yeah. We're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I was just wondering if you could comment on Christ's presence in the Book of Proverbs and the role of the king in the Proverbs.
0: Um, are, can you point that question a little more sure. directly?
1: So Proverbs frequently speaks about a king. And he's idealized, and because all scripture points to Christ, um, I'm just wondering how you see that connection in the Book of Proverbs.
0: Yeah, I, uh, you know, all scripture does point to Christ; it culminates in Christ. Um, so that's the final, that's the climactic chapter; that's where it's all headed. Headed. That doesn't mean, in the same way that. <sighs> Uh, you know, I, do, I take a teleological approach. So anytime you have something in the Old Testament that, represent, that that kind of prefigures God incarnate, like the angel of the Lord who appears to Joshua, for example. So the Lord, but in a, you know, the shape the form of a human. In that sense, that anticipates the flesh and blood incarnation of Christ. Um, inasmuch as in in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, um, He is the incarnate wisdom of God. That's led some people in the past to think of Proverbs eight, for example, where it talks about I wisdom was with God at creation. You know, I was His uh, cra- a craftsman at His side or companion at His side, as to make, as to speak of a mediatrix. Okay, so. a Kind of a di- divine being that had some kind of unto i I'm sorry to use big words at the, the afternoon—but had some kind of ontological sort of real, substantial being. Um, I think that's—I think, uh, frankly—in in the light of uh, that context, not only biblical but extra-biblical, I think that's a misreading of a personification, because wisdom is regularly personified, not simply in the Bible but in other ancient texts, and often personified as a woman in these other texts as well. So I would want to take figures in their proper sense. A personification is a personification, not necessarily already the person. But every personification of divine being in human form is an anticipation of the actual incarnation. I've said enough words to confuse everyone including myself.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, just a practical um, thing. Could you comment on your experience? Because You said that Duncan memorized the meditating. Yeah. Could you comment on your experience of that activity and bringing that into our study? Because I feel like there's something when you wrote that
0: Yeah. yeah, I think they're a good question. I think um, there is a place. Uh, we want to engage Scripture in every possible way. So I wouldn't engage it always in only the same way. I think there's a time to read quickly to get the big picture. I think there are times to slow down and just meditate on one saying, one proverb, uh, one passage of Scripture. It's a way I appreciate, uh, you know, uh, a, a work of art a painting I want to get the big picture I want to see it but then if it's a master artist I want to get up close and watch and look at the brush strokes and really focus on how did how did he or she do that okay so I think that you hear sometimes Lectio Divina that involves the meditative we should always be meditating on scripture Um so I would say large and small doses. That's where I disagree with Alden a little bit that he says the Proverbs shouldn't be read in large doses. I think, well, at times, yeah, I like to read a whole chapter. and I'm getting hit with all kinds of things, and maybe only one or two remain with me, but maybe those are the one or two I needed that day. But then on the other hand, see, there are obscure sayings, and there are things that we ponder and we... You know, we don't see them today the way we may see them in 10 years after we've had a few more life experiences. And suddenly they spring to life for us because now I have the background to understand it. Okay? All right.